0: So we're going to conclude our series on John chapter 3 today, and I want to do uh, two things. Uh, One is I want us to focus in on um, that really uh, stunning verse, verse 19. This is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil and the great news that is in that verse for us, believe it or not. And then we'll take a few minutes at the end to see what kind of the, the conclusion of uh, uh, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, what difference that made uh, in Nicodemus' life. Um, but before I read uh, the text, let me pray. Father, we uh, thank you today that... Um, um, your grace is sufficient. Your arm is not too short to save. And uh, um, the the world, the darkness, has not overcome the light. I pray that you would help us today to see that uh, we don't generate that light. Uh, Jesus, that you are that light. And I pray that you would turn us and, um, uh, to the light, uh, even though uh, in some moments we might prefer the darkness. Would you help us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. John three sixteen uh, through 21, the text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son Who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Um, So earlier this year, uh, my youngest, my baby, my baby girl, my sweetie, uh, bought a house bought a house, cute house, lovely little house. Uh, And uh, she's done a great job with it. It's, uh, her house is is way nicer, more comfortable, more beautiful things in it than than my house. So uh, uh, she's done a great job with it. She uh, texted me earlier in the week to say, I'm going to swing by your house on Saturday to pick up uh, your ladder so I can clean the gutters out. So I'm not going to have my daughter going up and down a ladder cleaning the gutters out. Uh, I'm not going to have that. So yesterday I put the ladder in the truck, drove over to her house and started cleaning her gutters out. Her house was built uh, in the 40s. And I don't know that those gutters have been cleaned out in 80 years. <laughs> so uh, it, was, uh, it was it was fun. I uh, actually enjoyed it. You know, it's one of the few things in life where uh, I can actually begin a task and it's completed. You don't do that much in ministry. Um, so, uh When I was finishing up, I was going back up to her door to go in to tell her I was finished. The mail came, and uh, I handed her a mail, and in the mail was a water bill. And so she opened the water bill, and I hear a lot of loud shouting about the water bill, and uh, it had uh, gone up five times what the previous water bill was. So being the dad that I am, I'm like, you got a leak, we're going to find it. So I had her open up the crawl space underneath the house, and I crawled underneath the house and was looking at all her pipes. All her pipes were brand new. Everything was looking good. But I discovered something in the middle of the house that I couldn't figure out what it was. And the flashlight that she had was dimming, and so I turned it off, and I'm yelling back at her through the opening in the crawl space, "Uh, I need you to come in here and look at this. And nothing happens. (laughs) Now I need you to crawl up in here, sweetie. It's important for you to see this thing under your house. Uh, And she's like, "Well, it's dark because I turned the flashlight off." She's like, "I can't. I can hear you, but I can't see you." And so uh, I said, "Well, just come to my voice." And you know, the problem with that is she might hear my voice, but she can't see what's between me and her to crawl through there. So she, she did, God bless her. She figured out a way to prop the um, crawl space door open and she crawled in and the first thing she saw when I showed her what I wanted to show her, she's like, there's a snake in there. I think it's dead. I hope it's dead. Uh, th- I think it was dead. It, we made a lot of noise and it didn't move. Um, the, um, the thing that's interesting about that is, is that darkness is something we don't, uh, it's difficult for us, isn't it? If we can't see our way uh, or if we are uncertain of what is in front of us, uh, darkness makes moving forward very difficult, challenging almost impossible. The darkness that uh, Jesus is talking about here to Nicodemus, ironically, at night, in the dark, you know, in the first century, they didn't have uh, LED lights or anything like that to light the way up. And so darkness is really dark. So Jesus is having this encounter with Nicodemus at night in the dark. And so as Nicodemus comes to talk to him and to Uh, probe Jesus a little bit, he's intrigued with him, he wants to find out a little bit more about him, Jesus lays out some pretty stark, uh, gracious, and uh, challenging words. Because I think the thing that we have to see about this is, and why it's important for us to look for a moment at the darkness, and to look at the fact that what Jesus says is that for us, in our unbelief, we actually prefer the darkness over the light. We prefer the darkness over the light because, uh, or we prefer in in an even more perverse way, we understand that there's darkness, but we would think that we could make our own light to see our way through the darkness. But Jesus isn't having any of that. In fact, uh, what, we, what we're about to celebrate as we enter into the, the, the time of Advent is the fact that there is only one light and that light is Jesus Christ and that he has come into the world and that life and light is found only in him and that we will not find it anywhere else. And so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty profound picture of the state of human beings and yet over all of this, even those of us who would prefer the darkness Jesus loves us so much that he will not allow that darkness to uh, have its grip upon us and that he will break through that to bring light and life to bear in our lives but here's the thing you may be thinking like why in the world would someone want to talk about the darkness why Is it that we have to look at our own darkness? Because you'll never see Jesus lifted up. Your spiritual life will never move anywhere. Renewal, newness of life, freshness, the work of the Spirit will never come to you unless you first come to grips with the fact of your own personal darkness. And the reason why it's important to come to grips with your own personal darkness is not to leave you there in the dark, but to make you despair, because the darkness is powerful, to make you despair of your own ability to light your way out of that darkness and to magnify before you The Jesus who is lifted up in front of us on the cross as our light and our life. And so it's important for us to take just a few moments uh, uh, to think about that. Now, my guess is that if you're like me, when you read this text and you read about uh, uh, these uh, people here that he's talking about, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. When you read that, what are, what's our tendency is where do we locate ourselves in that verse? Most of us locate ourselves in the verse of those other people out there, they're the evil ones. Those other people out there, they're the ones that prefer the darkness. And you probably had a catalog in your mind of all those people who were on that list. Right? I mean, that's just that's 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 how it works. So we don't situate ourselves as as Having the possibility of darkness in ourselves or preferring darkness, certainly at times, and certainly giving, uh, uh, you know, kind of giving ourselves over to that. But the fact is, darkness descended upon the human race in the Garden of Eden when our first parents decided that they could be God. When they decided, that God's order and God's uh, creation and God's relationship with them was negotiable in the sense that they could do what they wanted to do and that, in fact, they knew better than their creator. And so as a result of that, every single one of us struggles, every single human being struggles with darkness. How do I know that? Well, I read your posts, I see your social media. I see the way we live our lives. And you know what? They are dripping with darkness. Wait, I just put up pictures of my crews. I just put up pictures of my uh, a beautiful wreath that I'm hanging on my house. I just put up pictures of my beautiful grandchildren. I just put up pictures of my... Curated life. Why'd you do that? Why do we do that? I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is, I don't know anybody who wants to demonstrate on, uh, uh, and, and and at least before the watching world, this is this is my hard, sinful. Self-oriented, coveting, lustful, malicious life. Let me catalog for you on my Instagram page all the people that I can't stand, that I have a broken relationship with. We don't do that, right? And I'm glad we don't. But the fact that we work so hard to project something about us, is an indicator to me that down deep inside each one of us has a sense of the darkness that lurks in us, the, the darkness that is outside of us, but most particularly the darkness that, is in, that, that resides right here. And one of the ways that you can begin to, to look at this is Paul writes in his first chapter of Romans about the fact that the truth about God and the truth about ourselves is clearly displayed so that all of us can see the fact that left to our own devices, we reside in darkness and that the world has been has been affected by darkness. And But what we do with that is we suppress it. And one of the ways that we suppress that is not just that we... Uh, 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 disregard God, certainly. But one of the ways we do that is down deep inside each one of us, we know there are deficits. We know there are things about us that are not right. We know that there are things about us that are not true and good and beautiful and God-oriented. And so what do we do with those things? We suppress that. And some of, the, some of the ways that we, and there are a lot of ways that we suppress it. Some of the ways that we suppress it is uh, by giving ourselves over to more pleasure, to giving ourselves over to, to more things that would numb that difficulty, right? And, and giving ourselves uh, a, a, a pass to be able to say, I can do these things, I need to do these things uh, because they're, they, they, they at least kind of anesthetize me against the shame and the difficulty of what I know about myself. But then there are others of us, uh, probably many more of us here this morning, who our tendency in that is to look, at, to situate ourselves in a, in a place where, well, we're light, we, we, we're all about the light, and, but we can identify all the people that are still in darkness And ironically, we might even take a little bit of delight in the fact that what we read in the text is that they're condemned. That in and of ourselves, one of the ways that we kind of cover up our shame and deal with our shame is we have a list of, these things might be true about me, let's not talk about that, but at least I'm not that. At least I've got good theology or I've got uh, the right politics or the right cultural understanding. And so because I have that, that puts me, at least in my own hierarchy of human beings, above the people, those people, the others, right? So that's a, that's a picture to us, right, of one of the ways in which we suppress this and we want to hide this about ourselves, right, that we want to kind of figure out a way, yeah, there's darkness, I sense it, I feel it, every now and then it bubbles up out into the, into the open, but I don't want to cover that up. Not to mention the fact that every single one of us has strained and difficult relationships that maybe, maybe for us in the midst of those relationships, what we think is the problem is all theirs. It's not mine. They're in the darkness. I'm in the light. They're the problem. Right? Next slide. So what we do is we end up kind of self-justifying. And what we do with that is we think, well, because of these situations, because of these things that have happened to me, you know, I uh, I get a pass. Or, uh, these things might be difficult, but the the fact is, I uh, have an understanding of what the truth is, and that sets me apart because I have this unique understanding of the truth. Not unlike Nicodemus, who, if you were to know Nicodemus, one of the things that you would know about him is, is that he was probably very generous. Yeah, he was probably very generous. If he was a Pharisee, then he gave more probably than any of us ever give. Nicodemus was a rigorous adherent to God's law. And you, know, you hear that, a rigorous adherent to God's law, you may think, well, that's a bad thing. No, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The law of God is beautiful. It's wonderful. It reveals to us God's character and it shows us God's design for our lives. It is, it is one of the best things Uh, that we have. One of the best things that God has revealed to us about himself and about us. So Nicodemus would be a great guy to have as your neighbor. He would be a great guy to have uh, around in the sense that he takes this stuff very seriously. And he knows that there's darkness in the world. And he even knows that there's probably darkness in him. And yet, the way he is managing that darkness, the way we manage that darkness, is the kicker here. That's the real, the real issue, because you see, what the way we, what we want to do with this thing that bubbles up in us as darkness is, we want to manage it ourselves. We want to kind of independently come at this from the way that seems best to us. But there's something about Jesus that Jesus looks at the people in the darkness, and he loves them. He takes the time in a night to talk to this young man, this young religious leader, and reveal to him the pathway out of the darkness, the religious darkness, the rigorous application of the law, that he has the wrong relationship with. He thinks that that is uh, the pathway out of the darkness. And Jesus says, no, the Son of Man must be lifted up and you must see it. You must trust that. You must see that the pathway out of the darkness is not a path so much as it is a person. The Son of God given for you. And so... You know, rather than seeing ourselves as our own light, Jesus says he's the only light in this darkness. It's a bright light. It doesn't flicker. It doesn't wane. It doesn't go away. And it is more powerful than the darkness out there. And it is certainly more powerful than the darkness in here. Now, one of the ways you might be able to diagnose this in yourself is if you're able to kind of quickly get on God's side in this statement by condemning those that you identify as the darkness. It doesn't mean we excuse their darkness. It doesn't mean that we act like their darkness isn't a big deal. Darkness is darkness, but you know what? You know it's dark. How do you know it's dark? Because you got it. And yourself. And you know, and I know, that left to our own devices, you know, and I know, that as if we see the darkness and we understand the darkness for what it is, and as Isaiah says, if we light our own torch to make our way through the darkness, then ultimately all we're going to do is lie down in our own misery. But Jesus loves us too much. Je- the kindness of our God is so great and so vast and so broad that he gives us his very self to overcome the darkness in us. Spiritual renewal, spiritual rejuvenation comes first. The first step of that comes to us when we recognize the darkness in ourselves Because as we recognize the darkness in ourselves, the light shines brighter. The light becomes clearer and the truth about ourselves and the truth about the love of God for us in Jesus Christ becomes greater. And that is the pathway to life and light that Jesus lays out for Nicodemus. Now, Here's the thing, the great news about this is, is if you're in darkness today, and if you are uh, find at least in some ways the darkness compelling, the darkness might even seem like it's giving you some life, the fact is, Jesus, it, the, the proof of Jesus' love for you is that he overturns that darkness in your life. And that's what he did. With Nicodemus, we read here at the end of the text, right, that um, uh, that he whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what Jesus is saying there to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you you know you can't do anything about this except to look to me, to entrust yourself to me, and uh, to rest yourself in me. Does Nicodemus do that? Does he? What happens to him? Well, I think it's interesting to, to look at the way John traces Nicodemus's life and traces his interaction with Jesus through Jesus' life. We read at the beginning of John chapter 3, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And we're going to learn something. You learn something about Nicodemus right here in this text by... Uh, who he identifies himself with. What does he say? He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we, we know. We know that you're a teacher has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. At this point in time... Uh, Nicodemus finds something compelling about Jesus he's he's done these wonders he's done these miracles and he teaches in a way that is profound and different from anybody else and so Nicodemus is curious and he wants to know more and there's something about that that's attractive but not attractive enough to shift his cohort right to to shift who it is he how he thinks about himself and who it is that he identifies himself with we all identify ourselves with a we don't we we all identify ourselves as belonging to a particular kind of people or a particular kind of group we that, that's 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 how we kind of Think of ourselves, right? So at this stage of the game, Nicodemus is like, oh, this Jesus guy is interesting. As a Pharisee, I want to investigate, right? Later on in John chapter 7, Jesus has been teaching in the temple and he's causing a stir. You know, Jesus caused a stir almost everywhere he went, right? I mean, he caused people to get mad at him, people to fall in love with him, people to d- disregard him. I mean, uh, but at this, at this uh, Feast of the Tabernacles, I mean, he is driving the religious leaders crazy. So crazy that they dispatch the temple guard to go arrest him. So the temple guard goes out to arrest Jesus. And they come back to the Pharisees and the priests and the Sadducees. And it says, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Now remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Who do you identify with, right? No! I love that. No! The exclamation point wasn't in John's gospel, but yeah. I don't go, no, I just go, no, no. Yeah. But this, bo- this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So Nicodemus is like, huh, you know maybe we should investigate more. Maybe we need to find out a little bit more about this Jesus. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. In other words, no, can't do this. No, Jesus is an imposter. No, we have all the light we need. We don't need his light. But here's the kicker we'll see at the end of Jesus's life the transformation that began that night in John chapter 3 come to a bit of completion and who Nicodemus identifies himself with at the end of Jesus's life. Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. And we read in John 19, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. 75 pounds. That's a lot. That's a lot. That, that costs some money. Uh, and uh, it probably cost him in the sense that he probably had to enlist some other people to put them at risk too to help him lug those 75 pounds of spices there to, um, uh, to Jesus' burial site. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So here's the kicker. At Jesus' lowest moment, the crucified one, the dead one, the mocked one, the one that everyone had turned away from, the one that had been judicially murdered, Nicodemus spends money and time, and probably most important for him, reputation to identify himself with the one who was dead, the one who died, the one who indeed had been lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. I think light is dawning on Nicodemus. I think light is spreading into his heart and life, and he is beginning, I think, on a pathway here identifying with a crucified Savior where real light and life is found. It's a great thing for us today to come to the Lord's table. You know, when you come and you eat the bread and you drink the cup, many of us take time to pray. Many of us take time to catalog, to think of the things, the darkness that's in us, and to repent of that. But one of the things that is so profound about this is, at this moment, when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, as we'll say, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We identify ourselves by eating and drinking with a crucified Savior, We identify ourselves as those who have walked in darkness and needed a great light. And that great light is found in the one who died and rose again for us. In many ways, we identify as we do this with Nicodemus because the key moment, the key issue for Nicodemus is this interaction that he has with Jesus leads him to the place Where at the end of Jesus' life, where's Nicodemus? He's there identifying himself with the one true light and life. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins. Lord God Almighty, your understanding is unsearchable and infinite. Your arm cannot be stayed. Holy is your wisdom, power, mercy, ways, works. How can I stand before you with my numberless offenses? I have often loved darkness, observing lying vanities, forsaken your given mercies, trampled underfoot your beloved son, mocked your providences, flattered you with my lips, broken your covenant. It is only in light of your compassion that I am not consumed." At the cross, may I contemplate the evil of sin and abhor it. May I look on him whom I pierced as one slain for me and by me. May I never despise his death by fearing its efficacy for my salvation. And whatever cross I am required to bear, let me see Jesus suffering mine." Dear brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Give thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. I love the um, uh, little song that we sing earlier in worship, that God is good. And, um, you know, it is so convicting. Not because I don't believe that God is good, but when I, the, in the middle of it, it says, may your battles end the way they should. Well, I know how that is. Touchdown, I win. I win. That's how all the battles are supposed to end, with me winning, right? I'm gonna win. Me, I'm winning. I am a winner. Did I mention that I'm a winner? I win all the time. America loves a winner. The church loves a winner. Christians love a winner. I'm all about winning. Love me, because I'm a winner. Well, you don't have to love me. It doesn't matter whether you love me. I'm a winner. I want to win. I want to be proven right. I want my enemies to feel metaphorically the sole of my shoe on their neck. One way or another, in a nice way but in a winning way. What Jesus does with Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't win. Not really. His victory is Jesus' victory. Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, because he loves me and he has tied himself to me, I win, and if I win, these battles, these battles that seem so big, these battles that seem life and death, they are Jesus's life, Jesus's death. He wins, and in Him, I get to participate in His victory. I look forward to the day of hearing the rest of Nicodemus' story about Jesus' completion of his victory in his life. Darkness is strong. Jesus is stronger. The darkness in you is more powerful than you are. And Jesus is stronger still. If you belong to him, he wins you, and if he wins you, you're going to be fine. If that's your hope and that's your profession, you've confessed that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus, the victorious one, he names you, he owns you, you belong to him. If that's true of you, You profess that to a body of believers. Take the cup. Take the bread. It's a victory celebration of Jesus' light and life through his death over our darkness. It's a great thing for us to celebrate today. Um, uh, As the elders come down front, uh, let me remind you that the outer rings are wine. Uh, And uh, the inner rings are grape juice. As you saw uh, earlier in the service, uh, we had the opportunity to see two of our kids um, profess their faith uh, before the church. And so uh, Daniel Nida and Ella Mayu and their families will be up front first. They will lead us today in uh, receiving uh, the sacrament. If you're unable to come forward, raise your hand, and we will see to it that you get served. And once everyone has been served, uh, we'll uh, eat and drink together.